Well, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 19, if you'll turn there. And uh, on the app, you can hit the top right, and it says notes, and you can follow along that way as well. Lord, give us great grace and speak to us powerfully, powerfully, powerfully through your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, last week, we saw again that David is coming in as king, and uh, that is a secure and set thing as he's heading that way. And we're not going to study it, but in verse 31 to 39, this 80-year-old guy, Barcelli, was really the one who funded David financially during his time away with Absalom. And other people brought stuff, but it was really Barcelli who brought and sustained him and the whole army. And it's a beautiful picture here because now he's coming to the king. And the king says, Barcelli, I am going to honor you all your days. You are going to sit in the palace with me, and I am going to treat you uh, as, as a king yourself throughout your lifetime now in the palace. And it's just such a, a stirring picture of that day when we stand before the Lord. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And all that we've given him, all that we have given in prayer and coming to church, everything's a sacrifice as our bodies are wicked, aren't they? Our first knee-jerk reaction with giving financially is that, oh, it's mine, oh, I can't afford it, ah, you know. And the same with time. It's like, oh, it's so hard. If it's hard, it must not be worship, you know. It's got to be easy to be worship. No, it's, it's every step spiritually you make is, is it's a sacrifice. It's got to beat your body in subjection, and then you open the Bible. You beat your body in subjection, and then you begin to pray. And then as you're praying, you've got to keep beating your body in subjection. It's, it's just, Paul said, there's no good thing that dwells in me. Nothing. Oh, wretched men I am. The, the, inside me, the willing's present. But outside, I find a whole other principle, this sinful, wretched man that's fighting me every inch of the way to live holy as my heart wants to live. And so Barcelli says, I'm an old guy. Give it to my son here. Um, I can't taste any food anymore, and I can't really sit around anymore. Uh, I couldn't enjoy it, but give it to my son. But it's a beautiful picture of the heart of the king towards those who have given to him. Well, in verse 40 here this morning, now the king went on to Gilgal and Chittim and went on with him. All the people of Judah exhorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Just then, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all of David's men with him across the Jordan? So, again, you have two tribes joined together, Judah and Benjamin. And Benjamin is understood to be hooked with Judah, even though they say Judah. But there's another ten tribes that feel like, hey, we're, we're getting left out here. Now, again, guys, understand <laughs> that a few days earlier, all of these people were trying to kill David. Okay. And the war's over, and now they're like, hey, why aren't you honoring me, you know, at the front of the line next to the king? People are fickle, you know. It, it, it is interesting to see that the greatest leaders in history, especially through the Bible, were not seen so in their lifetime. Were not appreciated as such in their lifetime. On Wednesday nights, going through Exodus, powerful stuff on the life of Moses. And 
His entire 40 years, they never showed him respect once. But of course, Stephen points out after the fact, oh, he praised Moses. And, and, and the Stephen in his sermon says, yeah, you praise Moses now, but you were wanting to kill him and you hated him and you disobeyed him in his lifetime. That's just the human nature, isn't it? We, we can't get past people's humanness. You know, it's like, well, they're doing that, but they're human. And the Bible doesn't try to hide that. The Bible tells us about David's sins. It tells us about his extraordinary humanness and failures and out and out just sinfulness. But yet, throughout the Bible, without question, David, hands down, is the greatest leader of all times. Jesus, our King of kings and Lord of lords, is going to sit upon his, the throne of David forever. <laughs> Amazing that our God is going to establish his throne and call it the throne of David. That's just so amazing to me. But David, at the beginning, when he was coming to be king, these ten tribes fought for seven and a half years against David becoming king. And finally they said, okay, be king. And it was a glorious time. But then Absalom came along and said, hey, blah, 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 about David. All of it was true, but it didn't mean that God didn't want him to be the king anymore. But then you have another civil war. And now after this civil war, this spirit of division is going to continue. And, and again, guys, you're always going to have stumbling going on. Jesus said that. The little children, are all, there's always going to be somebody stumbling them. And just to let you know, it would be better to put a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean than to be that person. Don't put fuel on the fire and definitely don't be the instigator of it. But you see these men of Israel stirring things up. But the men in verse 42 of Judah answered back and, and they, they said, well, he's our relative. And, and they started getting angry at each other. And then finally, the men of, Is, the men of Judah spoke more harshly and they won the argument. But look in chapter 20 now, verse 1. There came a spokesperson out of that bunch. And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. So this guy sort of becomes the spokesperson for this spirit of division. You know, Absalom came along and Ahithophel, and they're planting all these little seeds. And others are watering it. Now David is securely being received back as king. But underneath, that, that spirit remains. And let me tell you something, guys. It's always wherever humans are. <laughs> it, it's, it's part of our humanity. Paul addressed this in the New Testament. Okay, this is the Old Testament we're talking about. But in the New Testament, Paul even sees it as, as more horrible because God's spirit's in us. And we have been born again by God's spirit. And there should be a power of God's spirit of love and unity. If we're not quenching the spirit, that, that should be there. And he says in, in the book of Corinthians, I hear there's divisions among you. And he just said, this should not be. 
And in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, you know what? If there are people dividing, saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. I'm he goes, Christ isn't divided. It's you. It's your hearts. Apollos isn't trying to get you to split up. Christ definitely isn't. It's, it's you being carnal. And he says this. This is why when I was with you and you liked Apollos' teaching because it was so spiritual, I couldn't do that when I was with you. Because your divisive spirit showed your carnality. And I could not speak into your life the meat, the mature things. When I was with you, I had to speak as to carnal, non-believers. And I was just trying to lay the foundation of the simplest of principles. And I failed. Because people have that divisive spirit. They are not mature people. You know, when you got guys like Sheba, a lot of times... They just don't understand how powerful they are. So here's a word, especially some of you school teachers who have the little guys. And you know how you have those girls or guys in the class that, you know, they decide it's time to go on recess and the whole class is, you know, in an upheaval for the next 20 minutes until it really is recess time. You need to help them understand I know you just think you're one voice out of 15, but you're not. God has made you in a way that you have a spirit about you, a charisma about you, a power about you that leads. And when you speak, it penetrates the hearts of everybody else and moves them. This can work for you. This can work against you. And this is why you need to submit your heart and be my champion. Speaking, helping me speak into their lives the things that I'm trying to do to lead them. You know, as I've studied the scripture, especially going through David and life of Joseph and now Moses and heading into the gospel of Luke. You know, you say, well, God spoke this to me, or God, you know, I'm, God's leading me this way or that way. You know, as I study the scripture, the thing that I find 100% is God mostly leads through a submissive spirit. It's, it's an amazing thing that if there's not that yieldedness before God, there's not that yieldedness before man. And your impulsive nature and all of your thoughts begin to, to lean towards and then you start seeing God show you what it is you really want to see. And really the first question is, is there that heart of submission? We just saw with Moses, God saying, hey, go to Egypt. And Moses is like, well, I got to go home and ask my father-in-law because he's the patriarch of our house. And he goes to Jethro, hey, God wants me to go to Egypt. Can I? <laughs> 80 year old guy, you know, Speaking to his, I don't know, 90-year-old stepdad, or I mean, father-in-law. But there, there was just, and God's like, yeah, you got to do that. That's right. I spoke to you, but there's, there's not just a submission to me. There's this heart towards man as well. And, it, and it's a powerful thing. In the Gospels, the centurion says, Jesus, don't go to my house to heal my servant. Just speak the word, and he'll be healed. And Jesus says, 
I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. And he goes, well, it's like this. I'm a man of authority. I speak to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And then a lot of people read this wrong. He says, Jesus, you are a man under authority. So when I speak, it's like the Roman government is, is giving me the power. And if they don't submit to me, it's going to go all the way up to Caesar. And Caesar's going to kill him. It's not just disobeying me. It's disobeying Caesar. Because I'm doing Caesar's will. All down the line. I'm just a simple centurion here. But in the same with you, Jesus, there's this complete submission to God. And all the way down, there's this power. So you just say the word. Go sickness and it goes come Holy Spirit and it comes and it's just a powerful thing it's a peaceful place to be but on the opposite of that perspective on that spectrum is a person who doesn't understand that what he's doing is going to affect things greatly I don't think Sheba necessarily thought I'm going to say what everybody else is saying and the whole nation's going to follow me but that's what happened it's a scary thing to, to have that gifting from God. Boy, we need to go back and remember in James 3. He says, the tongue, it's like a little spark that sets a whole forest on fire. And where does that fire come from, the tongue? From hell. In our sinful natures, all of our words are powerful. And when we speak them, it's, it's powerful. It may just seem like a little, little spark. Uh uh. You, you, you hit that little spark and you walked on down the road and you look back and there's a forest fire. Man, there's a fire. This fire. You, call, you started it. Your tongue, it's, it's, it's burning from hell, man. It's a powerful spark going on. And he just said, Stop. All the creatures in the world can be tamed, but not the tongue. It's never going to happen. So be afraid and. You know, and submit yourself unto God, he says. So when you speak, it's fresh water, not from the same tap, salt water. Can you imagine? You go to your tap one time, oh, and a glass of water. Oh, salt. Next time you go to the tap water, oh, that's really tasty. That's, he said, it, can't, it doesn't exist in nature. It shouldn't exist coming out of your mouth. But here we see this guy, this rebel, Sheba. And it says he blew a trumpet. Be careful when people are blowing a trumpet. When people are drawing attention to themselves, Paul says in Acts, from amongst you, from outside you, there's always going to be people. These wolves come in trying to draw people after themselves. And I told you this for three years, night and day with tears. You've got to be a strong leader and, 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 and stay there. Be the wall. Stand in the gap and, and help stop the wolves and feed the sheep. I wish I could just feed everybody with a devotional message. And we're all walking out of here on air going, oh, it's so good to hear about the grace and mercy of God. But I wouldn't be a faithful shepherd. I have to, yes, feed you, but I also got to warn you. And I also need to help put red flags up to help you see what the, when the wolves are coming in so they don't devour us. When guys are blowing their trumpet with their knowledge or their spirituality, a lot of times their giftedness does blow a trumpet. But... He had this little catchy phrase. We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse, every man to his tents, O Israel. So if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Um, 
it, it was catchy. And if it rhymes, it has to be true. And, uh, but take a note there that he says, oh, son of Jesse. Remember, Jesse was a nobody. And this wasn't trying to elevate David. It was trying to help him realize you're a nobody. And everybody remember, he's from that nobody guy out of Bethlehem, that shepherd. Yeah, he, he has no right to be king. Remember, guys, in Proverbs 6.16 and in verse 19, it says, there's six things that God hates. The seventh is an abomination. And that is one who sows discord or causes division amongst the brethren. Interesting that Samuel pointed out to Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is iniquity as idolatry. So God who looks on the heart sees the temperature of the heart of anger and says, I'm putting it down in my book as murder. You didn't kill the guy, but your, your heart was fiery angry enough that it would have done it had you had a gun and in that moment or had a knife in that moment, you, you would have. So I'm putting in my book as murder. And here he's telling us, you may say, well, you know, boys will be boys. And yeah, he's not very submitted. He's being rebelled. And God says, no, no, no. That heart of rebellion, it's no different than somebody who is actively worshiping Satan against the will of God. That person, that heart of stubbornness, it's somebody who's forcing themselves to worship another God and not submit to the God of their fathers. So Sheba questions David's sovereignty. We have no share in David. He may be their king, but he's not going to be our king. Guys, you don't choose your authorities. You, you can't just one day say to your parents, I decided you're not an authority in my life anymore. I like the people down the street, you know, Ozzie and Harriet. They're great parents. And uh, the young guys are going, who? Ozzie and what? Anyway, um, we're going to go down there and now, oh, we're totally submitted to you. But it, it just doesn't work that way, right? And, and, and so when you're picking and choosing your authority, you've you got to realize God's not honoring that. But this is what he's saying, guys. I'm choosing David not to be my authority, and everybody who's smart will do the same. So let's not, and God's not honoring that. And then he devalues David, every man to his own tent. This would be a way of saying every man's a king of his own castle. We're all kings. We don't need a king. We are all kings of our own home. We'll be the authority in our life and no one else. And then the last thing there is we just see the, the chaos that's brought when that spirit comes, God is not the author of confusion, but peace is in all the churches. And so when we see that divisive spirit, realize, guys, this is spiritual warfare. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against principalities and powers. Well, in verse um, 3 there now, this is an interesting story where David now has to go back and meet the ten concubines that Absalom violated. And in the law, it does say it's an abomination for a man and his son to have any point in time shared the same woman. 
And so this would completely make them and this culture unclean. Again, I just, I just grieve over the misuse of women especially in our day and worldwide as the slave trafficking is growing, the sex trade trafficking is growing. And we're, we're standing by and throughout the Asian and the Arab countries in particular, there are millions of women that have been kidnapped from around the world, held captive. It's, 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 it's just, I don't know, we're in the last days. It says that Lot's righteous soul was vexed every day. When I think about the abortion going on, when I think about, you know, the, the devastation that alcohol is bringing, and, uh, and now the, the licensing of marijuana, we, we, we have, you know, my kids grew up and they would say, why? The answer I would tell them, because I'm setting you up for success, not failure. <laughs> Why can't I go out at 10 o'clock on a school night and hang out with my friends? They're all doing it. All their parents are letting them. Uh, I can't handle that. I, I don't know what they're doing. But for you, the reason you're staying home is because I'm setting you up for success. And I'll tell you what, we are not set up for success. And if God's people will humble themselves and pray, God says he will indeed heal our land. Well, in verse 4, going back now, so King David now, he says to his new general, remember who was Absalom's general, Amasa, assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and present yourself here. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed. So my guess is that Amasa had a hard time getting the respect. Well, yesterday or a week ago, you were assembling all of us to fight for Absalom against David. And now here a few days later, you're calling, using your power of leadership to assemble us all to go fight now for David against another guy, Sheba. No, you know what, dude? I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this. And it, it took him a long, little while longer. But David knew the importance of a quick strike. And so he had to do a backup plan and so now he says to Abishai, notice who he didn't talk to, Joab. Joab, who had killed Abner, another general of David's. He had killed um, Absalom when David said, don't kill him. He's a man that just rebuked David for his crying. He was right, but he was not respectful. And David, I don't think he told him he's no longer general, but he was supposed to get the message through the grapevine. And so he calls his brother Abishai, and he says, this guy Sheba is out of control. Go and pursue him and, and find him unless he gets fortified. And it takes years. Try to get him before he gets to a city and fortifies himself. So notice in verse 7, Abishai goes and tells his brother Joab. Joab, David wants us to do this. No, David didn't want them to do it. He wanted Abishai, leave Joab out of it. But Joab takes control. The Sherathites and the Pelethites, David's personal bodyguards, not Jews, but uh, they were his personal bodyguards this whole time as king. And then the mighty men, the 600 men of valor, uh, after him, and they started going after Sheba. And in verse 8, when there was a very large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. And Joab was dressed in his battle armor, and it was on his belt with the sword fastened in his sheath and his hips, and he was going forward, and it fell out. So 
Amasa hears where they're headed to, and he takes his armies out there and meets them to take the lead. And Joab gets off his horse, but he accidentally drops the sword out of his sheath and picks it up, probably carrying it behind his leg. And as he comes up to Amasa, notice he says, Oh, man, are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard, acting all manly and personal, like we're buds, and grabs him by the beard in his right hand and kissed him. And, of course, Amasa would be watching his right hand. That would be the, the, the key. And so his right hand clearly doesn't have a sword in it, so that would relax Amasa a little bit. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died, and Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now, if you remember back in chapter 3, when David had made a similar thing, he didn't at the beginning. He did not want Joab. He knew Joab as a, a powerful leader, but he did not have the same heart as David. And so Joab had made the same agreement with Saul's general, Abner. And at the time, Joab was gone. When he came back, he did the same thing, exactly the same thing in verse 26 to 29 of chapter 3. And he acted all, you know, like everything's fine, and then secretly stabbed him and killed him. And so, again, this is him being slicker and doing it, but it's the same thing. And notice in verse 11, Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab, and whoever is for David, follow Joab. And Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the men saw that all the people stood, he moved Amasa from the highway in the field and threw a garment over him. And he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. And he was removed from the highway. All the people went after Joab to pursue, to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. So he, he was putting out a clear message that everybody could see. I'm the leader. If you question that, you're dead. Most commentators say that the way Amasa would have been struck, it would have taken him probably hours to have died. So as these guys were coming by, sort of like a traffic accident on the freeway, these guys are gawking and looking, and then eventually they put a sheet over him, but he's still probably fidgeting, and his entrails hanging out uh, on the edge of the sheet. It was, it was a scary, uh, morbid, and a very uh, clear message um, that he was uh, indeed not to, to be messed with. I, I just want to say here that later on, when David was dying and Solomon turning him over, in 1 Kings chapter 2, he told Solomon, don't let this poison of Joab remain. And interesting, Solomon's general went in and stabbed and killed Joab. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Well, in verse 14 now, so he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Maka and all the uh, Berthites, and they were gathered together and also went after Sheba. And they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Maka. And they cast up a siege mound against the city, and it stood by the rampart, and all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. So when you got a siege situation, whether you're successful bringing down the wall or not, you make sure nobody comes in or goes out, it, in time you're going to win. And, and sieges these times were brutal because on the outside, 
The soldiers are eating all your crops, eating all your livestock. They're tearing down all your trees to make weapons to, to try to take you out. So they deforest the area. And then on the inside, you're starving to death. And, and many times in the Bible, we see where it gets down to where they're eating their own children and stuff. It's, it, it's not something that you want to go through. And so in verse 16, a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please, say to Joab, come nearby and I speak to you. And when he had come nearby, the woman said, Are you Joab? And he said, I am. And then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. So she spoke, saying, Thus to talk in former times, saying, They shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end dispute. So our city is known for being mediators. So people from other cities and other tribes and all around would come to us and say, help us mediate this dispute. This is what we do. So listen to me. I am, a, I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it from me, far be it from me, that I should swallow up or destroy. <laughs> Ironic. Um, but anyway, that is not so. But a man from the mountain of Ephraim, interesting, because he was a Benjamite, but they were mostly in the area of Judah. But this guy, when after his dad was killed back in the book of Judges, or great-grandpa, evidently he was re his mother or great-grandmother married into the tribe of Ephraim rather than into the tribe of Judah. So this is why he had an influence over the area of Israel. But anyway, Sheba the son of Bitri by name has raised his hand against the king, against David, and delivered him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Praise God for wise women. Amen? Woo! Amen. In Proverbs 31, verse 25 to 27, it says, Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Boy, that's just two little sentences out of a wonderful chapter on the wonderful, wonderful creature of women that God made. We do have some amazing examples, like Deborah. All the men were just out of place. They just were deflated. And they were just giving themselves into servitude. And they weren't fighting for their freedom. But this woman, Deborah, said, guys, come on. And she went to one guy in particular said, God's telling you to lead this. And he's like, no, 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 no. Hold my hand. You be the leader. I'll follow you. And Deborah's like, this isn't the role that I'm supposed to have. You're supposed to do it. But he wouldn't. So she stepped up. And Deborah and Barak, who is supposed to be the leader, in Judges 5, 1, uh, the son of uh, Benodim, sing in that day, saying, when the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Guys, I, I get it. And especially it's interesting in the church. Men really want to take a passive role. And it's not the Lord. If you read 2 Corinthians 11, he says that the glory of the Son is the Father. And the glory of man is Jesus. 
and the glory of woman is the crown of her husband. And it's not, you know, in the, Jesus makes it clear in the church, either male nor female, bond nor free, we're all equal in Christ. I'm not saying women are lesser or greater. Women are different. Men are different than women. We're not all the same. We're very different. And because God made us very different, we have different roles. But then he goes on to say, therefore, in the church, Jesus is to be glorified. Therefore, men are to be the major proponents of leadership in the church to give glory to Christ. If the women are the major proponents of leadership in the church, they bring glory to their husbands and then secondarily to Christ. And so if you're wanting to teach a home fellowship or host one or teach a discipleship group or teach Sunday school, we need help in that area, whatever, I understand there's never going to be a good time. There's never going to be a moment where I'm feeling it. I'm going to do it. Oh, the the feeling passed. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) You know, I, I just encourage you men in your homes for sure, but also in the church. It's a beautiful thing. The Lord is speaking, the Holy Spirit is saying, when men willingly give themselves into leadership. In Esther, she saved the entire nation from destruction, and she didn't want to do it. But her uncle Mordecai said, but um, you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows, in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to this kingdom for such a time as this. So Esther, I know it's a difficult thing to save the entire nation, but you need to step up and to do that. And this woman had to step up where others wouldn't, and, uh, and God mightily used them. We'll notice in verse 22 as we finish up here this morning. And the woman in her wisdom, amen again, amen, amen, went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab, and he blew a trumpet, <laughs> and then they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent, so Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. David knew, we're not going to wait for Sheba to keep poisoning people and letting that set deeper and deeper in their souls. When people have been poisoned with division, it, it seems to be a poison that even though you can get some uh, moxicillin and kill it for a while, it, it's always an infection wanting to come back after you've had your, your heart poisoned. I can't let this go on. Quickly. And then he gets down there. And what is the answer? Deal with it now. That's what David wants. We'll help you in that. We'll cut the head off it. And we'll throw it. We'll chuck it out of this place. You know, it's such a a great picture. The Old Testament has pictures of New Testament theology. And guys, all of us in our flesh are rebellious to the king. There's all of us at times just say, what is God that I should obey him? (laughs) What is the Bible that I got to do what it says? Who decided I got to go to church every week? And I don't know, you know, all of us get there at some point. And we do the bed comes backwards and we'll see it started with carnality. It started with compromise. It started with little things of, of compromise with what you're 
doing, speaking, hearing, drinking, eating, people you're around, whatever it is. And you don't know it, but your heart is being poisoned with this spirit of rebellion. And eventually, as it says in James, it gives forth birth. (laughs) And when it gives birth, it brings forth sin and it brings forth death. What's the answer? Well, you got to know how to tame it, get the chair out and whip and whoosh. A lot of times people do that. Yeah, I'll just chill out on Friday night for a while. Well, you know, I'll take it easy over here. I'll, I'll calm it down there. I, you know, I got it under control. That's what everybody says, right? I mean, you know, the alcoholic and the drug addict, I got it under control. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I've been overdoing it, but I, I can turn that off in a minute. I, I don't, no, you can't. Interesting story I've heard several times in my life. But the last time was 2009. It was a couple in Florida who wanted to have a pet python. Eight feet, six inches long. Normally 150 pounds. But they had a baby. And they got busy. And the, they, they kept forgetting about the python. And, and you know, they, wanted, they had to keep their pet python. It was their boyfriends that had moved in. And, and uh, you know, it, it's totally docile as long as you feed it. But you know how it can be. Life's busy. Well, what happened was the python, which wasn't legal to have, by the way, finally got so hungry, it forced its way out of where it had never forced its way out of before the cage. And just like you think, it slithered right into the two-year-old bed, coiled itself around it, bit it in the head when they found it, was starting to swallow it. But it was too late, it died. In 2011, they both went to prison for, I think, a decade or more for negligence. Maybe there's some rebellion in your life right now. And it's a caged python right now. And you're feeding it a little bit. And it's staying very calm and docile. Guys, it's not going to happen. What's the answer? you got to chop the head off and throw it out. Throw it out, right? you got to kill it. And as you go into the New Testament, it says this. It never says, wound your flesh. Calm your flesh down. Tame your flesh. What does it say? Put to death the flesh. Put to death those sins in the members of your body that are causing you to lose that peace of God. If a man walks in the flesh, he loses that peace. You walk in the spirit, you have the peace of God. But what does it say? That those who do the work of the flesh are in submission to the flesh. But to those who do the life of the spirit are in submission to the spirit. So as we go into worship this morning, this is a time for you just to seek the Lord and say, God, right now I'm not even sure. There's so many areas. Search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And I, I received this verse this week on this subject from the Lord. And in 1 John chapter 1, it says, if we confess our sin, the one we see, the one the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind right now, But as that one comes to mind, maybe it's a plethora of them and you're feeling condemned. That's not from the Lord. 
Confusion doesn't come from the Lord, but peace. But remember this, as you confess your sin, he's faithful and righteous to cleanse you, not from just that sin, but from all unrighteousness. Amen? Let's just go to him, Lord. Lord, we know that all of us have rebellion to our king. All of us have that aggressive spirit in our flesh to, to, to say, no, 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 you're not going to be king over this tent. <laughs> you can be king over the kingdom, but just not over my tent. Lord, we bring our bodies, our tents, our tabernacles to you and say, Lord, please, we want to be a holy vessel, sanctify, set apart for your use. If you're here today and you've not come to Christ, the answer is Jesus is full of love and mercy. There's no condemnation. He died on the cross, paying the penalty of your sin and rose again, conquering your sin. So as a free gift, you can be saved right now. And all you have to do is just that very thing. Just say, Lord, Jesus, by the power of the cross, by your death, the blood that you shed, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me as white as snow without any blemish or spot. I want to be holy before you, live a righteous life before you. Cleanse me now and give me the strength to follow you. And if you're here today going, I'm deflated. I need a Deborah. I need a word to speak right now to, to just say, Lord, help me. I'm so weak. The willing is not even present like it used to be. My conscience is starting to get seared. I don't grieve like I used to grieve. The fear of God is fading to the back of a voice, and I don't fear God like I once did. Lord, please, heal me today. And in a moment, you'll see some guys on the side and down front, and if you need to just sneak over and you don't have to say a word. They can just pray for you or you can share something and they'll lay hands on you. And we're going to spend a while just seeking the face of God this morning. Thank you for your mercies, God. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. Thank you when there's nothing good in us. It doesn't matter because you live in us and you see us holy, righteous, your precious child, your king and priest forever and ever. And we thank you, Lord, for bringing salvation not just one time, but every day, <laughs> over and over, your mercies are new. Every day, you're saving us from our weakness. And in our weakness, your strength is perfect. And where our sin abounds, your grace abounds more. And Lord, let us be a people of prayer, God. Even as we leave here today, Lord, just let prayer fill this place. Let just hands be laid on one another, encourage one another, lifting one another up. And meet us tonight, Lord, in the most powerful way we've ever met in a time of seeking your face tonight. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.